Well, hello everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Jarvis, and welcome to the Hepcast. This podcast shines a light on the real life stories behind the fight against hepatitis C. In this third episode, we'll look at treatment. Now, in recent years, scientific progress has enabled us to change the face of hepatitis C treatment and the experience of patients who want to be cured from this infection. I'm joined by three fascinating panelists to explore the barriers that communities face when they're accessing care and to examine how moving the provision of treatment from hospitals and liver specialists into GPs and nurses, as well as community services, can make that treatment accessible to everyone. It is an enormous pleasure to be joined by George Kalamitsis. He's a founding member and current chair of the Hellenic Liver Patient Association, Prometheus. He has lived experience of hepatitis C, which makes him, of course, with respect to my other panellists, the most important member of our panel. Alex Thompson is Director of Gastroenterology at St. Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne, and he's also Director of Statewide Hepatitis Programme in Victorian Prisons. And last but by no means least, Maka Gorgia is the Programme Director of the Georgian Harm Reduction Network, the network that aims to reduce HIV and AIDS transmission among injecting drug users, but she's also the country representative at many regional networks, EATG, European HIV Hepatitis Testing Week, European Harm Reduction Network, Correlation, Eurasian Harm Reduction Association, AIDS Action Europe. She is one busy lady. George, can you tell us a little bit about when you first knew you were living with hepatitis C? I think it was like 2002 that I realized that I was uh, hepatitis C positive and that was uh, from a regular examination that I had to go through, a blood test. So I was then consulted by a general practitioner that I should visit a hepatologist to go for further tests. So it was accidentally I, I learned about it. It was you know, by luck. And what prompted you to seek treatment? Well, um, it was my doctor back then because uh, I had to do biopsy. You know, the situation back then was completely different from the, the today, uh, even treatments or diagnostics that we had. I had to go through biopsy and the liver condition was not as good as I thought. And uh, even if I was a relatively young man back then, uh, there was a liver progression of the disease pretty fast. So I was uh, consulted by my hepatologist that it might be a good idea, even though we have a very few chances of of success through that treatment, that will be a much better idea back then to start treatment. And eventually we can, you know, hope that it will be successful. Uh, of course, you need. To, we need to keep in mind yet, you know, that back then there was no other choice. So back to two thousand and two, there was specific drugs that were, you know, with uh, severe side effects and uh, low efficacy. But uh, there was no other choice. So I realized that I had to go through this, and he convinced me that you know we could do this together. And so I went through this. So at the time, you discussed with your doctor the fact that there was a chance of success, but of course that chance of success was lower than it would be today and that you would go through significant side effects. Now, those are challenges on of themselves, but can you tell us about some of the challenges you faced to access treatment and perhaps while you were going through treatment? Well, this, it, was not a, it was not difficult to access treatments. The government was providing them for free. The biggest issue that I had to go through was the fact that the side effects were severe. And during the 
the treatment period, I had many times that I wanted to stop and quit. And actually, the last month, I actually dropped out. I lost a lot of weight. I was going through tremendous depression episodes and other situations of like insomnia for days. And that was something that it was completely different from my personality and my character. So I realized that there's something completely different happening to myself that I have no control of it. And this was driving me crazy. And I was also, you know, young as before at this treatment, I was active a lot to sports. I was an athlete. I had to stop sports. I had to stop working. It was, it was pretty difficult times back then. And even if I realized that there's very little chance of succeeding and I was, I knew that there was a liver progression of the disease that was pretty uh, rapid. After there was uh, so much of the pain that was experienced that I, you know, I said, okay, I don't care. I will uh, quit therapy, whatever the consequences are. So it's extraordinary to me that having gone through 11 months of treatment so close to the end, things were still bad enough that you decided to drop out. Clearly you did persist and you did get cured. So tell me about how your life is now. How different is your life knowing you've been cured? What does being cured of hepatitis C mean to you? It was a huge relief. It was, as I said, you know, I was playing with odds and the odds were against me. And when I realized that I was actually negative, I couldn't believe it. So I went over the test again. And, and again, I think, I think I did it three times. I still didn't believe the results. And I had to do it again and again. It was a huge relief. And, you know, it, it gave me a lot of courage to continue my life because I was devastated when I learned I was, uh, I was positive. So, yes, of course, it's something that also, you know, gave me the motive to start running this Hellenic Liver Patient Association and start getting, uh, you know, involved in the, in the activist section and try to other people to get access to treatment and uh, proper treatment and proper diagnostics for hepatitis C. So this experience was life-changing experience for me. Clearly some really life-changing stuff. And we will come back and hear more about your your link with Prometheus, the Hellenic Liver Patient Association. And we've heard there, Mecca, that George was able to access treatment pretty easily. That is not the case. Of course, it certainly was not the case back in 2002 in every country. I know that you have worked really extensively with the Georgian Harm Reduction Network and indeed with this goal for for Georgia, how they're progressing towards their goal to eliminate hepatitis C. Can you tell us about your role in the Georgian Harm Reduction and, and the organization and indeed what it's aiming for? It was quite difficult uh, for patients, uh, especially from high-risk group, to reach uh, an affordable diagnostics on Hep C and treatment of on Hep C. The group uh, I work with is you know, people who inject drugs, and my organization, Georgian Harm Reduction Network, uh, provides uh, services to them, harm reduction services, and. Uh, Day by day, we saw lots of people who were concerned by the disease as we were do- doing only hepsis screening, testing. We could not do anything more for them, not nor uh, diagnostics, uh, nor treatment because it was quite an uh, expensive one. So we started our advocacy to uh, make sure our government fund the treatment program and create uh, elimination for every population of Georgia, and uh, we have quite big uh, prevalence, 7.7% among general population. And uh, among drug users, it was highest uh, 
also in the world, 63% to 90%. Uh, so it means that uh, every uh, person, every drug user had the chance to have this uh, infection. So uh, when the elimination program started, we had some difficult uh, barriers uh, Uh, like co-payments on diagnostics, uh, um, barriers regarding to geographical issues. Sometimes people don't believe the treatment exists, that they believe myths, and the myths are transmitted from people to people. These facts create barriers to people who inject drugs. They tend not to go for treatment. My organization works day by day to eliminate barriers uh, and help to drug users to reach the program. So those are extraordinary figures. 7% is basically one in 15 of the general population. One in 15 of every person in Georgia was hepatitis C positive. Now, one of our interviewees talked to us in episode two about how Georgia is progressing towards their goal to eliminate hep C. Tell us how they're progressing now. We have quite ambitious targets uh, for the elimination program. 90% of people living with hep C are diagnosed. 95% of those diagnosed are treated and 95 are cured. So today, uh, after five years start of elimination program, uh, we have 69% of general population screened on hep C. Out of them, 54% had started treatment. So it's... uh, quite well done, but we need more to reach the elimination target. Fantastic. I mean, that's a great start. Let's just bring in Alex now, because we've heard two very different experiences there, Alex. We've heard from George, who found out his diagnosis by accident, but had no problem accessing treatment. Then we've heard from Maka, who comes from a country where one in 15 of the population are affected by hepatitis C and virtually everybody in those high-risk settings. In Australia, it's a little bit different, but certainly I know you have been working uh, in hepatitis C in Australia in prisons, which, of course, is an area where there are a lot of people who have hepatitis C. I think our experience is not dissimilar to the Georgian experience. Our government has invested strongly in hepatitis elimination and they've made the drugs available to all Australians living with hepatitis C, regardless of liver fibrosis stage, regardless of risk behaviours. And they've also made the drugs available to people who are in prison. The major challenge for Australia to achieve elimination of hepatitis is to engage marginalised, vulnerable individuals who are living with hepatitis C, who often don't engage with traditional medical models of care. And for better or worse, the prisons provide a a great opportunity um, for these people to engage with hepatitis C treatment. So we've been running a statewide hepatitis program in my state in Australia now since 2016 when the drugs became available. We've assessed over 4,000 prisoners for hepatitis C treatment. We've now treated almost 2,500 prisoners and 90% of the prisoners we treat have never engaged with hepatitis C care prior to being incarcerated. So it's just a terrific opportunity for them to engage with treatment. And the program you're on means that the majority of people don't need to see a specialist before treatment. That must make it much easier to treat people. That's right. The the two advantages of the new tablet-based treatments is that they're effective and they're simple and have few side effects. So there's really little need for a specialist to be involved with hepatitis C care now. Now, prison treatment program, we have nurses who assess the prisoners. They have fibroscan machines that they take into the prisons. 
They can perform liver fibrosis assessments. And the specialists are involved only as a backup for patients who have cirrhosis, who have decompensated liver disease, or who have liver cancer. And now we estimate that's about 5% of the prisoners who are assessed and treated through the program. So 95% are managed by the nurses. Now, interestingly, we've heard in previous HEPcasts that there is this stigma, this idea that if you are someone who uses drugs, that actually what's the point of treating you because you're just going to go out and get it again. We've also heard that people who are injecting drugs feel so unwell and they don't have the energy, they don't have the mental resources, they don't have the support. Once they've been cured of hepatitis C, actually they suddenly realise that there is a chance of another real life. Has that been your experience in the prison work you've done, Alex? Yeah, it it has. Um, With many prisoners, that's part of the rehabilitation package. That's the first time they've been regarded as as a valid and valuable member of society, worthy of a medical assessment and worthy of treatment. Um, And for them, being cured of hepatitis C is yet another step away from problems they've had in their past. So it can be a really valuable experience for them. Well, Georgia, I'd like to come back to you because I know that you also are working, as you said, to increase awareness and to increase access to testing and treatment. Tell us a bit about the uh, the Hellenic Liver Patient Association, Prometheus, and about its goals. Well, it was a um, patient-led and patient-driven association uh, that was founded in 2012. And our basic goals uh, is uh, and scope is to um, raise awareness and advocate for um, access to proper treatments and proper diagnostics for every liver patient in, uh, in Greece. So that we implement a bunch of activities that are related to these scopes. And you are also trying to help particularly drug users, people in prison, to access this treatment? Well, marginalized populations is uh, is the main population. It's the virus that affects mostly those people, people who use drugs, prisoners, migrants in some cases, Roma populations. And of course, the living conditions that are facing are uh, create some barriers for them to access healthcare activities. So we come as an association to try to fill up the gaps and try to, to test these individuals and link them to care. Maka, you're in a slightly different position in Georgia because such a high proportion of the population have got hepatitis C. Can you tell us a little bit more about your your work and your experience and how hepatitis C is viewed in Georgia? As I said, different sources indicate different uh, highest prevalence among drug users in Georgia. Uh, and my organization um, delivers services annually to 35,000 drug users uh, per year. So the estimated number of drug users is 52,500. So we uh, want to reach the maximum amount of drug users to be screened and then uh, started uh, involved in treatment program. So, so far uh, we reached 88% of drug users uh, uh, these are most vulnerable groups. Uh, they had different kind of barriers, uh, among them stigma and discrimination from uh, medical personnel. They, they needed a more friendly environment at clinics uh, to start and adhere to a treatment program. So 
Within the efforts done within elimination program, we have uh, three harm reduction sites with point of care diagnostics and treatment inside. So drug user can come to our harm reduction sites. He can receive screen, uh, screening service, then point of care or confirmative diagnostic on it and receive drugs in the same day. This is a wonderful opportunity for drug users uh, to be motivated and to receive the full package of treatment at, in one day. And uh, besides, I want to mention uh, the support of peers. Peer support is a uh, well-acknowledged service uh, in this uh, case. Uh, so peers are breaking the myths that exist toward the uh, treatment program, and they support them to keep all the uh, regulations regarding the treatment uh, follow uh, the doctor regime and uh, do their best to come to appointment to doctors in, in every two weeks to monitor their progress of treatment and as well to do the last confirmatory testing to be sure that uh, the disease is already cured. I'm fascinated at that idea of a, a one-stop shop. George, you in in your country have taken a slightly different approach and you're actually using incentives. So we've heard that Macca's got this idea of making it convenient. You've kind of almost taken it one step further with the Aristotle project, haven't you? We had to find answers to the problem of testing the individuals and trying to make them aware of the condition. In our case, it was insufficient to have a one-drop center in somewhere in the city to wait for the individuals to come and get tested. So we figured out that if we provide incentives to them, this will actually give them a, um, a reason to come and approach our center in order to get the tests. And we realized that this incentives was working Pretty well, actually. It was uh, not the first time that we used it. We used it also in the HIV epidemic that the country experienced back in 2013. We managed to test uh, approximately 2,000 individuals for HIV in a very short period of time, and we managed to control the epidemic. So the same uh, situation we use it now for hepatitis C. We provide incentives so people bring their fellows and their friends in order for them to get tested. And we realize who is exchanging needles, who is not. And uh, we can understand how the virus is transmitted through the community. Yeah, you spread the word through people who were affected. And I think that's just so important. People whom they would perhaps trust. And, and apart from the vouchers, we provide cold meals because it's a hot weather country here and uh, some soda, some water, and uh, of course, uh, clean needles. Uh, and uh, some, 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 in some cases, we provide them with primary care if they need it. So it's a place that it is also, apart from the things that we provide them, it's a very friendly environment with peers. And this is important because these individuals, in most cases, they feel uh, discriminated in the general practitioner's office or the hepatology B clinic. Uh, they are not welcome sometimes and they feel discriminated and they need a friendly environment that will accept and with no judgmental uh, feelings, uh, their condition and their habits. And uh, peers are very important in this uh, in this part, in order for them to feel welcome and uh, bring the friends again and, and come back again to take the results and 
you know, something that we have seen that brings up the treatment rates and the cascade of care in, uh, in a much more acceptable way. Alex, I'm going to come to you because I don't think there's any doubt that, as George has put so beautifully across, having peers engaged is important, but so, of course, is decentralizing services. So getting rid of this top-down specialist approach. Tell me about your experience in that, because you've really been an advocate for this. So our early experience at our specialist clinic, we had thousands of patients waiting probably five plus years for these new treatments that were coming and coming and coming. And Australia's a bit late to the party, so it took a few extra years for them to come to Australia. And we had a really busy 18 months where we treated the engaged patients who were waiting for the tablet treatments. And then it became clear that the challenge for Australia to eliminate hepatitis C was to engage marginalised people who were injecting drugs. Our epidemic is very much driven by injecting drug use. And our experience was that we had very low success rates of getting these people to come up to the hospital. And our focus has very much been on making treatment easy to access, whichever way we can. And that involved going out into the community. So GP practices, particularly harm reduction practices, and then we have a number of safe injecting facilities in in Australia. And so we're doing a lot of work around trying to um, opportunistically test and treat people whichever way we can. And I think that's, that's really important. As a GP myself, a family doctor myself, I'm fascinated at this idea because while I see myself as someone who may well test and diagnose, I still think of hospital-based care being the place where you get treatment. How did you bring the GPs and the nurses in primary care practices on board with the idea of them providing the treatment? I think the good news story of hepatitis C treatment was a big thing and the elimination message. There's really not many diseases that we can cure and cure easily as clinicians. And hepatitis C is easy to cure and can transform people's lives. Um, and, And people really engaged with the idea that we could treat these individuals, but we could also treat to prevent transmission and aim for elimination. Um, And that became a strong community message that many people engaged with. Our focus in Australia in primary care focused on two different GP practices. So there were community GPs who should be testing, but might not have that many patients and don't need to engage with treatment necessarily. And then the high-risk clinics, which were mainly harm reduction clinics, as well as the co-infection clinics, where they had a high caseload and hepatitis C treatment was relatively straightforward to engage with. We supported, as specialists, we supported these high caseload GPs to uh, treat their first couple of patients. And once they're confident, they don't need our help anymore. We keep talking about these elimination goals. And of course, what we're talking about is the World Health Organization goal to eliminate hepatitis C as a major public health threat by 2030. I think it's fair to say, Macker, in Georgia, you had rather further to go than most, given how many people were affected. But can you tell us about the impact of hepatitis C in your country? I want to emphasize the reasons why we have such a big impact of hep C disease. It was to collapse of post-Soviet Union in country and we lost control on infectious disease at medical facilities. There was widespread uh, practice of uh, sharing of uh, uh, needles and uh, syringes among drug users uh, and uh, 
uh, also yeah, poor in infection control and blood safety at uh, as was as well the problem. So uh, so far uh, from adult population, as I mentioned, we have sixty nine percent tested screened on Hep C, uh, and we have some micro elimination for the risk groups, like uh, um, injecting drug users, uh, like patients with hemophilia, like patients with uh, hemodialysis, uh, TB patients, HIV patients, uh, as well medical personnel. Uh, and war veterans and their family members. So uh, Georgia took some of these uh, micro groups to eliminate Hep C in these terms and has uh, significant successes in each. But uh, before the pandemic took place in country, this was all fine, but uh, we have now some restrictions uh, in all levels including screening, testing, um, uh, diagnostics, uh, initiation of treatment in time uh, and follow-up program as well. I appreciate that unfortunately the pandemic has had an impact on pretty much every aspect of our lives. But taking that out of the picture just for now, George, can I come to you and ask you what progress your country's made in terms of achieving those WHO goal of uh, eliminating Hep C as a major public health threat by 2030? Well, uh, you know, in the, the beginning of uh, 2014, that uh, there was treatment revolution, and we were very optimistic. We had a national plan. We started treating it not massively, but you know, treatment rates were pretty acceptable back then. Everything was actually paused due to COVID pandemic. And the last months that we are experiencing this situation here in the country, the treatment rates, the diagnostic rates. All the public health projects that were supposed to be implemented in a vulnerable population, prison settings, people who use drugs, Roma population, everything is paused. And uh, we are experiencing now a situation like uh, the years before that hepatitis C is a neglected disease by governmental officials and, and public health ex experts due to COVID. And we realize that this is a huge emergency for the country and for every public health official and uh, the, the consequences of COVID, of course, are dramatic right now. But we push and we try to convince the public health officials that, you know, there's other, other important aspects of public health that we cannot neglect. Right now, I think we are falling back in the downsides of the agenda, unfortunately. I think George has made a really important point that we need to maintain a strong message about hepatitis C. It's true in Australia as well that COVID is overwhelming everything. And there is a risk of hepatitis C sliding backwards and the focus on elimination being lost. I think hepatitis C needs to become part of the standard practice of harm reduction. So in Australia, when people are being worked up for opiate substitution therapy, they should be having a hepatitis C test. It should be automatic. In the prisons, this should be part of every mental health assessment. It should be part of every nurse assessment. It should be part of every prison addiction medicine assessment. That's the message we're trying to get out there. And in the prisons where we have a, a clinical team managing hepatitis C, what we want them to do is treat. All they need to do is treat and we'll take care of everything else. We know it's roots of transmission, but it's easy to cure now. And hopefully in the medium term, it becomes a similar consideration to an STI. Or if you have a risk behavior, you get tested, you get treated. And that's the end of the story. We've got a ways to go before we get there, but that's what needs to happen. It needs to be seen as something that people who inject drugs are at risk for, but they can be tested and treated easily. And it should just be 
automatic. That's what I hope. I couldn't agree more, but I was about to say to Maka, Alex has outlined this idea that, you know, for people who inject drugs, it's got to be automatic so that we can overcome the stigma for them. Actually, as you've pointed out, in Georgia, it's an even wider group. And there are historical reasons for that, which I would have thought would mean that the stigma was less. But is there still an issue with stigma? And if so, how do we overcome it? Uh, yes, stigma is an issue, of course, and it was a very strong issue when starting elimination program because doctors were not ready to work with uh, people from affected population like drug users, uh, and uh, they needed targeted education and trainings uh, how to work with drug users, how to persuade them to start up and have enough adherence on the program. But I want to emphasize that uh, decentralization of uh, treatment at uh, harm reduction sites worked very successful as uh, persons who come to harm reduction sites for uh, their syringes, needles and other services they come for treatment to take pills uh, as well. This is a common uh, rule to avoid stigma from medical personnel. Uh, and besides, these programs have quite uh, good connections with uh, doctors with friendly attitude to um, drug users. And we uh, contract such kind of doctors uh, uh, to assist uh, drug users at our harm reduction sites. It's also a way to overcome the problem. George, I'm I'm going to come to you because clearly it was a long time ago when you had treatment. Mm -hmm. You've talked about this idea of taking people who are high risk and giving them, say, either incentives, giving them a cold, cold drink, a cold meal, getting their friends to bring them in. How can decentralization of services, so for instance, as Alex pointed out, getting everything done, in primary care in the community. How can that overcome some of the challenges? It can overcome the challenges since most of the individuals, uh, as I said before, do not feel welcome and, um, in, in the general practitioner's office or the hepatology clinics. Most of these clinics are very large, centralized services, especially in big cities like Athens, Greece, or London, or Paris. Very, very crowded conditions. And in some cases, having a person that it is a person who uses drugs is not even welcomed by the, the doctors or the nurses or the, 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 the general system of the hospital. So these people are feeling much more welcome in a service that is provided um, custom-made to their needs. And another thing that I would like to add is that the most individuals who, who are vulnerable and marginalized, they are facing significant problems to access these healthcare services due to distance. It's much more easier for a person that comes from the general public to go in the bus or in the subway and go to the doctor, rather than these individuals who have you know, uh, a bunch of other health conditions that uh, are affected. So they uh, are not fond of uh, long-distance drivings or uh, using a lot of public transportation just for, you know, going to get a test of something that is, in our case, asymptomatic. We need to, to think about these aspects of these individuals in order to create services that are custom-made to their needs in order to be successful, of course. So another very strong argument for decentralized, more localized services. 
Alex, can I just touch briefly with you on how we can overcome the treatment barriers for reinfection, particularly people who use drugs, people in prison? I think this is a really important point uh, and it's relevant to stigma as well. It was raised earlier in this discussion, I think on previous HEPcasts, that some clinicians are reluctant to treat people who inject drugs because of the risk of reinfection. But they're the people who should be focused most for treatment because treatment can cure their hepatitis C, but it can also prevent them transmitting hepatitis C. And at the population level, that will have a much more dramatic effect to reduce the prevalence of hepatitis C. So it's really important that we focus our public health efforts on on treating the population who are at highest risk of transmission. The other, um, the other important point about the stigma of treatment is that we've heard about the old treatments and how difficult they were. And I don't think the general community is as up to date with the new treatments as we are. Um, and there is still some fear of hepatitis C treatment. And it's really important to say that these new treatments are very different and they're easy to take and they're incredibly effective. And so people shouldn't be scared of having hepatitis C treatment because of fear of the treatment itself. Really important message to get out there. But that's not where the problem stops when people have had treatment. I think Macca in Georgia, you know, there are challenges even after people have finished treatment, follow up for blood tests and barriers to understanding true cure rates. Yes, we've had such a problem really when the elimination program started. People uh, started taking their pills and completed the full course of treatment and didn't do the final test results. So we lost uh, uh, some portion of them um, uh, to understand if they were really cured. The reason for this was that last diagnostic was uh, not free of charge and the people, especially drug users, avoided to pay from their pocket to these kind of tests and so we lost them uh, from these follow-up services. And um, uh, in regard to the reinfection, uh, so far we have problem with reinfection it's still payable for patients uh, and uh, especially people from high risk groups they don't uh, have desire to pay any additional costs for their infection testing uh, but uh, they should know that reinfection exists really they should have information that uh, uh, hep c is still uh, is a danger and exists uh, in their society uh, and if they have uh, a risky behavior uh, and in a couple of months they should come again for testing on hepatitis C and the hep C test should be free of charge. This, is, uh, uh, this barrier should be removed uh, everywhere. So I'm going to come to each of you and ask each of you what your learning points would be for others that other people can take forward in their elimination efforts. George, your three key messages that allow others to improve their elimination efforts? Focus on uh, marginalized and vulnerable population. That's the first. Second of all, take advantage of the situation with COVID. COVID has uh, learned to most individuals, even they are with no clinical background, what is the importance of testing, prevention, and linkage to care. This has been clear to everybody right now. And third, Access of in treatment and diagnostics and elimination is not just a strategy; is um, is all about human rights. So do not accept any more delays. Every delay for any reason is a violation of human rights. So that will push up, I think, the agenda of hepatitis C. 
strong words, but very sound advice there. Maka, your three key learnings from your experience. It's very useful to integrate services of different diseases uh, together. It's a well-conducted experience for Georgia, as we had to deal with five infections together, hepatitis uh, B and C, HIV, uh, syphilis, and uh, tuberculosis. So we are doing screening on five infections together, and people coming for treatment on each disease can receive screening on hepatitis C and receive the full package of treatment. Uh, Another is uh, patient education and uh, awareness uh, rising among general population and high-risk groups and targeted prevention programs should be uninterrupted. And uh, also peer support is very, very useful for treatment support. So my, my three on reflection are we need to be testing people with risk factors for transmission. We need to increase testing rates. We need to decentralize treatment and take it to the community with, in Australia, a focus on clinics that deal with people who inject drugs and the prisons, which are now responsible for more than 30% of treatments in Australia. And the third really important point for policymakers is that treatment is cost-effective. It is cheaper for policymakers to engage with elimination programs than not to engage with elimination programs. Gosh, what an amazing set of tips. Every policymaker in the world, in my opinion, should listen even if they don't have time to listen to the whole thing for the last five minutes of there. And there are some real key messages coming through there. This idea of decentralizing, taking it to the people, tailoring what you're doing, peer support, spreading the word, and really importantly, making testing and treating available, maybe ideally in one stop, but also importantly, making people aware that treatment is very different than it used to be. But of course, for any policymaker listening, perhaps that most important message to them, if not to all of us, treatment is cost effective. Well, thank you, George. Thank you, Maka. Thank you, Alex, for sharing your knowledge and your amazing expertise on how we can expand access to hepatitis C care and of course the treatments, which in turn will make that 2030 World Health Organization goal of elimination of this virus as a public health challenge a reality. And thank you to our audience for listening. Tune in next time. We'll explore the role that prevention can play in our journey to elimination. And here's some more incredibly powerful stories, if today is anything to go by, from the inspiring people overcoming the challenges associated with hepatitis C. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Hepcast and you can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts so that other people can find the show. If you haven't already, search the Hepcast to subscribe. The Hepcast is a collaboration between the World Hepatitis Alliance and Gilead Sciences Europe Limited. The Hepcast is fully funded by Gilead Sciences Europe Limited.